We continue to reel from the immense tragedy on Mount Mayron just over one week ago. When I last spoke, I was in a state of complete shock and bewilderment. A week later, I am perhaps less shocked, but no less bewildered. After all, as believing Jews, no strangers to calamity, we recognize that an ultimate why is elusive. Certainly we can, and for those in positions of authority, must examine the pragmatic failings that enabled such a disaster, and surely a reckoning is due in that regard. But for those of us, most of us, affected from afar, it behooves us to seek a spiritual or moral message to incorporate into our lives. Appropriately, this week we read the Tochacha, words of strong rebuke aimed at the Jewish people, should we fail to live up to our spiritual potential. These painful curses sting and remind us that greatness is not just a Torah virtue, but a Torah mandate. Curiously, though, the Torah follows this intense discourse by addressing the topic of Arachin. In the Temple times, a person could pledge donations to support various offerings or the facility's upkeep. One way to do so was by dedicating the monetary value of a particular object, as in, I commit the value of this table to the Temple. But what if a person would declare a donation of the value of him or herself? How do we evaluate the correct amount to then deliver to the temple? This is the topic that the Torah is strikingly positions, just after its harsh censure. The great Hasidic master, known as the Chose, or Seer, of Lublin, offers a beautiful interpretation of this odd juxtaposition. Having heard the long litany of consequences for their failings, those listening might begin to feel worthless, perhaps even hopeless. If we can sink so low as to invite these curses, of what value are we in this world? The Arachid section thus is God's answer to this potential despondency. Yes, we humans might err, even badly, but each of us possesses inherent, incorruptible value, despite our many failings. One of the great gifts of this past week has been learning about the incredible character of those whose lives ended so abruptly on that mountain, many of them just children or young adults. I believe that their examples embody profoundly the Chosa's message and offer meaningful takeaways for our own growth in the wake of sorrow. On Sunday, I listened in tears for several hours to the streaming funeral of Donnie Morris, the 19-year-old gap year yeshiva student from New Jersey, whose angelic countenance betrayed a refined and gentle and joyous spirit. His teacher recounted how just a few months ago on Purim, during the festive meal, Donnie repeatedly approached the rabbi's wife, thanking her for coming to join them. This, despite the fact that she was not actually hosting the celebration in her home. They were just using a yeshiva classroom, but he felt he must express gratitude simply for her attending and bringing her family to the event. On another occasion, the rabbi and students were brainstorming areas of Jewish growth that they could tackle as a group effort during their time together in Israel. Students suggested various possibilities, including better observance of Shabbat, more focused prayer, and other such options. But as the discussion waned, Donnie shot up his hand, practically jumping out of his seat. He insisted that they include an additional topic for consideration noting that most of the young men in the class would return home at the end of the year. He insisted that they all could become better, more respectful sons 
They could refine their midot, their character traits. What others had overlooked was paramount to Donnie Mars. Yesterday I heard a eulogy for Ozzy Koltai, just 13 years old. Ozzy was the son of Rob and Sue Koltai, tremendous supporters of Ma'or and fabulous role models to our students who visit or study in Israel. They moved from New Jersey to Jerusalem several years ago in pursuit of spiritual elevation, keenly reflected in each of their children. As their youngest, Ozzy was precocious and made a deep impact on his community even at an early age. Several local sanitation workers visited the Shiva house, the house of mourning. When the family asked why, they explained that their root covered his block and that the young boy always greeted them kindly and wished them a good morning when they passed each other. In another vignette, on the first day of school one year, Ozzy rushed out of his classroom crying. As they were picking out desk positions, he had learned that multiple classmates were hoping to sit next to him in class. He could not stand the thought that he might hurt any of them by selecting one location over another. So many of these 45 holy souls excelled in their generous perception of others, in their choice to value the inherent goodness of every person. The painful irony that those who were so sensitive to others ultimately were trampled by them must shock us into focus. Nobody does tragedy like the Jewish people. We unite, we bond, we embrace, we extol. I was so heartened by the media images of strangers embracing in shiva houses across the world, of a grieving father reassuring and forgiving the student who had attempted to rescue his son but inadvertently led him into the melee, of Miriam Peretz, an Israeli hero who had lost two sons in IDF combat, bringing comfort to a home of broken children. So yes, nobody does tragedy like the Jewish people. The question is, can we do normal life like that as well? If we look towards these precious young men who perished too soon, I believe that we can. And we will perpetuate their holy memory in the process. Shabbat Shalom.